0: It is Canuck Central, Satyar Shah with Jamie Dodd, and and Canuck Central is presented by your local Grip Auto and Tire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. A lot coming up on the show, we're going to get into the latest on JT Miller. What else is new? Elliot Friedman has some things to say about uh, JT Miller and uh, some good reporting by Ian McIntyre who caught up with. Jim Rutherford and had some comments on the situation with JT Miller, the coaching search to have another assistant for Bruce Boudreaux's staff. So we'll get into all those sort of things. Plus Scott Scott Burnside from Daily Faceoff is going to join us at 3.30 and we'll talk more prospects with the NHL draft being just about a month away. Tony Ferrari, prospect analyst for Hockey News, is coming up a bit later on the show. But let's get right into it. The whole J.T. Miller thing, as much as, you know, we'll play the clip from, you know, um, Elliot coming up in a second. But but I did think the article that Ian McIntyre posted on Sportsnet.ca this afternoon, I I wouldn't say there was anything massively revealing, but it was interesting to get some things reaffirmed, I'd say. Yeah, well, it's
1: Jim Rutherford has been very, very consistent when talking about J.T. Miller and the situation that the Canucks Find themselves in right. He's always been. He's never shut the door or said they're not interested or anything like that. Always been very, very insistent that they'd love to have JT Miller back. But he's being realistic as well. And and you know the latest quote from uh, Ian, Ian McIntyre's article, which you can go read on Sportsnet.ca. Right now is, you know, the thing, the thing that he's, this is from Jim Rutherford. He says, the thing that I can say is we would like to re-sign JT, but we also understand we're dealing with an unrestricted free agent in 2023. That's a really good player. How far can we go when we've got other areas that
0: we've got to take care of? And that matches a lot of what we've heard from Jim Rutherford before, right? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing really new. They want to keep him, but it all depends on how much it's going to cost to keep the guy here. And, I mean... He mentions you're going to find out a bit more over the, last, over the next month or so. And what we talked about a lot yesterday on the show was we won't really know until you get closer to free agency because of how it's set up. And you can't technically sign a guy. You got to be careful with how you handle these things. Yeah. So a lot of what is said and kind of kicking the can down the road and, you know, it's kind of dragging your feet, so to speak, can also be how you play it with the media because you can't come out and say certain things right now in this situation with JT. But if you feel good about signing him or if the odds of them keeping him were good, I think we'd start hearing a lot of positive vibes coming in. You know what I mean? And we haven't heard that yet. Still very much. And hey, give uh, the front office credit. They keep a very straight face through everything. They're pretty honest for for the most part about what they want to do. And they kind of tell you what may or may not happen, and they haven't really deviated from that when it comes to J.T. Miller in a situation. No, as I said, they've been very consistent with their messaging, and
1: it's interesting because there's a lot of different ways you can read it, right? On the one hand, I think you're right that there's an element of just being honest and straight up with how they see the situation. You could also read it as maybe doing a little bit of posturing, right, because if they emphasize... How difficult it might be to get the deal done. You know, that might help them in negotiations uh, when they are able to, you know, officially get a deal done with JT Miller. The other thing I wonder about is how much of it is maybe, I don't want to say preparing fans for the fact of a JT Miller trade, but just kind of getting the idea out there so it doesn't come as a shock to anybody when it happens. Because we've heard Jim Rutherford talk about the possibility enough now that if they ultimately do trade JT Miller, I don't think it's
0: going to be as shocking or surprising as it might have been one at one time. Well. I He said a couple of times, he said, hey, we're going to have to make some tough decisions, and we may have to make a decision that will be very unpopular with the fans. But it depends on which fans you're talking about. Yes. yeah. Some people will really like it. Yes. I mean, that's what it comes down to. So, I think... What he's also doing to some degree is preparing everybody for the possibility, like you mentioned, of this happening. And it's like, hey, don't be shocked if it happens. You know, I don't think he wants to convince everybody that he's coming back and being overly positive about it and it doesn't happen. It's like, hey, what what just occurred? We thought you were going down this road. So I think part of it is, you know, preparing everybody for the possibility of this happening. But I still, and, and I mentioned this yesterday, I am very, very curious to see what internal number they put on his valuation. I mean that's
1: the that's the what it really comes down to because right?
0: I, I don't know if they're going to go beyond six years I don't think so yeah. and even the eight million dollar per year number is kind of dicey but let's say you go to eight but if you go eight times six that's forty eight million yeah it's close to fifty it makes you think but is that enough is that ultimately enough even if you go to that I I honestly I
1: wouldn't think so when you just look at some of the comparable contracts that are out there that JT Miller's probably looking at I mean we've heard you know from Frank Valley reference the uh, Mika Zabinajad. Number. That's a lot more than 48 million that he got, right? And maybe JT Miller doesn't need or feel the need to get all of that, right? Or, or, you know, the Thomas Hurdle deal, which was 64 million. Maybe he doesn't aim that quite that high, but that's a big gap from forty-eight million at six by eight to you know sixty plus that we're talking about for those guys. I'm not sure if that does get the deal done. If that's kind of the high water mark the Canucks are willing to go to,
0: well, and that's what makes this so complicated. And Elliot Friedman was on the Jeff Merrick show, like he always is, uh, daily on Sportsnet six fifteen across the Sportsnet radio network, and here's what Friedman had to say about the latest on JT Miller's situation. Look, like when I think everybody's being pretty honest here, that when they when they talk about that in a perfect world that JT Miller would like to stay in Vancouver, I think that's true. I, I just think that everybody knows it's not going to be everybody
1: knows it's not going to be an easy thing to do. And, um, you know,
0: I think that that's kind of the problem that we have at this point in time is that you can really want to do it and I think everybody here wants to do it, but I, I just it's gonna be hard. I, I think if if term is as important to the Canucks as I believe it to be, I, mm-hmm. I think it's gonna be very hard to get this deal done. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I right. do think it's gonna
1: be challenging.
0: That's Elliot Friedman on how he views the JT Miller negotiations that are upcoming here with the Canucks. It's going to be very hard, like we just kind of talked about, even if you say eight times six. yeah, that's 48 million. And that may still be 15 to 20 million short of what he may
1: want. And I guess the other way to look at that number, if you're J.T. Miller and you're J.T. Miller's agent, okay, so let's say it's 48 million. Just use that as a hypothetical number on the table from the Canucks. How scared are you that you won't be able to get an equivalent deal in a year's time in UFA? Yeah. Right? Like, there's a little bit of risk. Yeah. But you feel pretty good that you're going to be able to get six by eight on the open market if that's where it ultimately ends up. So if you look at it that way, how much incentive is there to lock it in now and sign that deal when you probably feel really good that you're going to be able to get something equivalent to that? Right? like. He, he, look, there's always a case to be made for getting it locked in and getting that security. And if he does really like it here in Vancouver, then that's a bonus as well. You know, you don't have the uncertainty. I just don't know if that, you know, if that amount of money is going to convince him to forego the chance to really
0: cash in down the road. Because that contract's going to be there for him in yeah. the future, in all likelihood. Well, if the Canucks are willing to go to about $48 million, I can see them, if push comes to shove and they really want him to get that offer in the $50 million- yeah. 50 million or slightly above. Like you can do that. Above that, though, that's the question. Like, what's the line JT puts? Because I see people texting in and saying get it to 50 million like Leaf hater Steve does. Somebody suggests eight times seven. Well, eight times seven comes out to fifty six million dollars, yeah. which is, you know, that's that's a lot more. I mean, it's it's an eight million dollars on top of the forty eight that you're talking about. But again, what's the number that JT and his camp is putting on his value? Yeah. Especially with the year he's had. And when we look at the contracts that are being handed out, and you see the Timo, I'm sorry, uh, the Tomas-Hurdle contract, mm-hmm. which, we've mentioned, which we've mentioned, Miller's a better player than Hurdle. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah like uh, undisputably a better player now he's older as well right not, so that uh, but uh, they're they're born the same year. Oh, yeah years. you're right actually so, so born bo- the same year the, uh, I, the contract, the contract in kicks in, in, in earlier next year, so yes. that's a little different but it's not that much different and yeah. if if i'm jt miller i'm like why am i taking significantly less than tomas Hurdle? right like just because the contract kicks in a year later
0: i well, and it's Mika Jad. Look at his production. Look at the contract that's kicking in. That kicked in kicks in next year for him. Now, same year again as J.T. Miller' b- yeah. birth year, but contract kicks in one year earlier. But what are those contracts worth? North of sixty million. Yeah, you know, like I, I think if you make him an offer in the fifty million range, that makes him think. But if he says no to that, the Canucks aren't going to go above it. Like I think maybe they'll do fifty one fifty. I can see them do something along those lines. Like, yeah. hey, we got to keep this guy. Hey, yeah, what's like an extra two or three million? S- six
1: years, eight point five or something, right, to get it up above, uh, you know, five million or fifty million, something like that. Yeah, but if that's not going to cut it, then it doesn't matter. And what you heard from Friedman in that latest clip from the Jeff Merrick show today was that term is a sticking point. Precisely. So if six years is. As far as the Canucks are willing to go, where is the, is there another team out there that's willing to go seven or if if they're if he's traded this summer and then is eligible to sign uh for eight years with another team is there a team that's willing to give him eight years? That's another big piece of the puzzle right like it, it's not just about the AAV it's about the term and if the Canucks aren't willing to go past six again J.t Miller probably likes his chances to get a seven year deal
0: somewhere else yeah, you can probably get the seven and what if the team that acquires him? Is willing to give him all the money, yeah. give him an eight-year deal, even. And again, like, hypothetically speaking, the team I mentioned yesterday, Columbus, like look at a team like if let's let's say hypothetically, I'm not reporting anything, I'm just hypothetically speaking here. Let's say Columbus calls and says, "We want him, mm-hmm. and we have two high picks this year. We'll give you one of the high picks. We'll give you a prospect you like, and something else. Let's make this deal happen." Mm-hmm. That's a team, if they acquire JT, he ultimate, he right away becomes their most important forward. Line is the most talented goal-scoring forward they have, but JT Miller becomes maybe their best player right away, outside of, of course, Wierenski on the back end. He becomes probably like the face of the franchise right. if he, he goes to a team like Columbus. That's a team that has a hard time. Like, Are they a team that says, you know what, JT, we want you. We're going to give you 9 times 8 or 9.5 yeah. times 8. For instance, like if, if the team like that exists and JT's camp knows it, Then even if the Canucks go eight times six or eight times seven, that's not going to cut it. No, and that's what I wonder ultimately. You know what I mean? It's like it's the same thing we said about Bo. JT may be willing to give you a discount, but are we talking about a discount from sixty-five million to sixty-two million, or are we talking about a discount from sixty million to fifty million? Yeah, that's kind of the question. (laughs) Two
1: very, very different discounts. Exactly as you said, it's one thing to say, you know what? Okay, I'll I'll take five million less overall on the total deal. You start talking about a fifteen million dollar difference. Yeah, man, you better really like the city. You better really like the situation,
0: right? Yeah, and listen, I I know people mentioned they're texting in and saying, you know, we shouldn't use Doug Wilson as a barometer. Well, Doug Wilson didn't sign the contract, anyways. He was sick when when they were going through that, and it was the rest of the team management team that got the deal done with Tomasz Hurdle. But the Mika Zibanejad contract, yeah. If you don't like that one as a comparable, look at the Zibanejad contract. And but, even if you don't, even if you think it's a wild card deal, they gave the guy. It's enough of a comparable that a guy like JT who had 99 points this year and has far produced anything those guys have done, yeah, is going to look at it and say, "Give me my money." Yeah, and the one I always come back to as well, and I know it
1: was it was pre-pandemic, so it's a little different, but the Kevin Hayes one, right? Yeah. And I mean, that was a uh, what? That was almost 50 million dollars. Mm-hmm. So, and JT Miller is in a completely different tier yeah, as a player than tier. Kevin Hayes, right? And it was a time when you could different say circumstances, yes. sure, but still. What's the argument for him taking the same contract? It's really hard to make it.
0: Yeah, no, it really is. So that that's what makes that entire situation so challenging. And even if the Canucks want want to do it, it may not happen anyways. Yeah. Uh, well, somebody says, come on, 6.5 million max. His average is 0.7 points per game, so 60 to 70 points. But... You can't look at his career totals. No. I mean, six point five max. That's that's maybe what Vancouver may offer or something. But that's not what he's going to settle that's not for. Happening. That, you know what I mean? Like, well, look, like we can talk about what he should get, what he, what you should offer, and what you think his value is. That's fine. Well, he ain't going
1: to accept that yeah, though. It's fair for the texture to say the most I would pay him is six point five. That's a totally fine opinion to have if you don't think he's going to age well or anything, right? That's a totally reasonable opinion to have. But then you also know he's not signing here, right? Yeah. Like, there's no scenario where he signs a deal with a $6.5 million AAV.
0: Now, the other possibility that does exist is maybe a situation he wants to go to. He's willing to take a little bit less because of it being an ideal situation. Mm-hmm. Is that Vancouver? We'll find out. I-, I think the Canucks will make a competitive offer. It just may not be in the stratosphere that JT Miller may be willing to accept. And that's why... We keep hearing that it's a tough deal to get done, because even if the Canucks put a really good offer on yep. the table, it may not be good enough.
1: But it is going to be interesting, to, as, if as we start to kind of hear more about which teams are interested and how that could affect J.T. Miller's willingness to sign here, right? Because, you know, it's easy to kind of trash the Columbus Blue Jackets, again, just to use that as a hypothetical, but... Look, that's close to JT Miller's home. Maybe he likes the idea of going there and being the face of the franchise. Maybe there are other situations that arise that, you know, he hears that teams might be interested that he would like to go to. That could really change how negotiations look with the Canucks as well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, this is a guy who's a point per game player now three straight seasons. Yeah. You know? He's what, 12th in the NHL in scoring since he came to Vancouver. Yeah. Right? That's three years. It's not just a one year. You know, this year was his pinnacle year. I get it but it's we're talking about a few years now of him putting that track record together and that's what's going to help him in his argument to get paid.
1: Leaf Steve texted in if other teams want him that bad and are willing to pay uh, 8 8 million or sorry, 8 years at 9 million then we will get more in the trade because we are trading a 9 million dollar player, a franchise player and that's part of the calculation, right? Like he is legitimately in demand. So that's one of the reasons that makes it at least easier to consider
0: Trading him as you think you like your chances to get a really nice haul in return. You you will. Ultimately, for me, for JT, it comes back to this. And we're going to move on to the coaching comment that uh, or uh, note from Ian McIntyre's article, something we talked about yesterday, too. But even if for JT Miller or, let's say, anybody else that you're looking at signing to a big-time contract, the league is changing as far as what money is worth for what players. And I know the, the cap is flat right now, but if you think getting key guy signed to massively team-friendly numbers is something that's going to happen, it's not happening anymore. Yeah, The league is kind of changing. And this idea of getting even both signed to a contract that's going to be super team-friendly and all that sort of stuff, this notion may not exist. And that's the other part about this too. Because you look around the league, and part of the reason, too, is teams will pay a guy money, but giving up the assets, no matter how good he is, is always a hard thing to do. What What's a template we always see in these trades? First round pick, mm-hmm. good prospect, and a third piece. Sometimes a fourth piece, like a second round pick or a third or something, you get thrown in for an extra value. And that's kind of what people want for JT. But it comes down to hitting on the prospect you get. Unless you get a top pick, but we're not talking about a top two pick. That's why Columbus is interesting. Are they willing to trade their sixth overall pick? Or maybe you're looking at the 12th overall pick. But even either way, that's a decent. It's a really good starting point. It's a starting a trade, point, but you yeah. just want something else on top of it. It comes down to the prospect you get. So any JT Miller trade you you get, I don't think you're going to see a deal that's going to have like five or six major parts with this no. massive haul. What it's going to be is like two or three, like three pieces, maybe two. But the hope is that one player you get is a massive hit. And it has to be a hit. Well, you need them to be high
1: quality pieces, yes. right? You don't want it just to be a a bunch of guys, right, and none of them have a particularly great chance of turning into a star, you'd rather take, you know, two really high-quality pieces in return, right? Because, yeah, like, ultimately you need to find a way to
0: replace the star power and the high-end talent of JT Miller. Well, I mean, and and that's the thing. And how many teams are willing not only to pay a guy that money, but also fork over their best Mm -hmm. prospect to do so? Mm -hmm. And that's a sticking point here. I think you'll get a good offer for JT, but I'm not sure... You're going to be getting, you know, that this mega return that, that some people really want.
1: Yeah. and I, I mean, we saw some packages thrown around, right, when New York was talking about it. And ultimately, yeah. that didn't happen. I, I agree with you. It's not necessarily going to be just in general around sports. We don't really see those same, like. You know, wow, they gave up three blue chip prospects for this player. It doesn't happen as much. Teams value prospects and picks so differently now. I think you can get a really impressive return for JT Miller, but you're right. It's not going to be, you know, four grade A assets or no. anything like
0: that. I mean, honestly, the best case scenario is like Colorado gets waxed by Tampa in the cup final. They get desperate and they come call and give you Bill and Byron for, for JT or <laughs> something, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what you're kind of hoping for because he comes in at a cheap number next year and mm-hmm. that type of deal, whatever. I mean, who knows if something like that comes along. Now, um, we'll try to get to some of these text messages, a lot of good thoughts coming in as the show goes on here. But we did want to hit the coaching side of things, too, from Ian McIntyre's article. Because one of the things I mentioned earlier this week, Jamie, was when it was talk about uh, Mike Yo and all this sort of stuff, and people wondered, is that going to be a guy who's going to come in and you know be a replacement potentially for um, Boudreaux down the road or something like that? Is that, is that a management hire? Because he worked with Alvin in Pittsburgh at a time. And what I mentioned back then was, Whoever they hire is going to be somebody that Bruce Boudreaux is very comfortable with. They're not going to hire somebody that just management wants because it's going to very much be the right-hand man, that type of role, next to a guy like Bruce Boudreaux. That's a very big possibility, especially with the news Frank Valley broke today about Brad Shaw being considered mm-hmm. for the open head coaching position for the Chicago Blackhawks. But Ian also touched on that in the article. Yeah, and the
1: quote from Jim Rutherford, as you said, is that Boudreaux and Patrick Alvin working very, very closely on a list of potential candidates to come in to round out the coaching staff. And Rutherford says, "Uh, now we're down to a real short list of guys that would be good to add to our staff. And Bruce is heavily involved, so he'll be comfortable with him. So, again, matching what you were saying, that this is going to be... It's not going to be just a management guy or just a Boudreaux guy, right? They're working together, and it's going to be something that both sides
0: are really comfortable with. Yeah, it's going to have to be something along those lines. And um, we'll see what happens, and it'll probably be a pretty— it won't take very long before that is finalized, Mm -hmm. I don't think. We'll see over the next little while, especially what happens with Bradshaw. That's going to have an impact, too. You know, is he he going to get the job in Chicago or not, or is he just kind of being considered? Those things will kind of also play a part into it. And also on the video coach, and something— I mentioned a while back, too, which I had heard was they're going to hire somebody, but there could be an internal um, promotion for somebody for the video role.
1: Yeah, and there's there's kind of two roles, right? Because they got rid of or they let go uh, Daryl Seward and also Kyle Gustafson, yes. who was the, you know, C- C- Seward was the the video coach and Gustafson was the, the eye in the sky assistant yes. coach, right? Who's an assistant coach, but not on the bench with the rest of the staff and the players. And in IMAX article, Rutherford says, you know, that that eye in the sky role could be filled internally, right? It could be, ian clark as the goalie coach or the other interesting thing uh, that came up is that it could be one of the sedins as well even though they're in player development that might still be a role
0: that they could take on so there's some interesting internal candidates for that position too yeah because i mean they do have a pretty robust staff all of a sudden internally you yeah. look at the front office you look at you know the support staff and not to say that you know you don't want to keep adding to a to a uh, front office and to a coaching staff and all that sort of stuff but at the same time when you do have a robust staff at some point you also look at it and say hey What responsibilities can we share here and what can we do? And let's not get too many people into. Well, they have lots of talent. They have lots of talent in the organization. And the
1: other interesting note from uh, from Ian McIntyre's article is saying that the new senior assistant that they're looking to hire is expected to be highly technical and capable of helping improve structure, right? So again, we're seeing that emphasis that we heard from Jim Rutherford at his year end uh, media availability the importance of structure, the importance of pr- improving the team's systems and making sure they pay a lot more attention to detail. And it sounds like that's going to be kind of the key criteria for the new assistant coach they hire.
0: Yeah, so that's going to be really interesting to see uh, on, the, on the coaching side of things. Uh, before we get to uh, the BCLC update on... The conference final between the Rangers and the Tampa Bay Lightning puck drop is coming up just after 5. You'll hear it here on Sports on 650. But some text to get to, Sparky Tyler says, uh, Before the trade deadline, you guys were saying we could get a King's Ransom uh, in trade, including picks and prospects. Why do you think we don't get that now? That's from Sparky Tyler. So this is what I've said all along. I don't think the Canucks trade JT during the season unless they get a King's Ransom. I don't think they were ever offered a King's Ransom to trade JT at the deadline. What I said was in the offseason, you'll probably get at least the same offers you're getting at the trade deadline and potentially a bit better. But I'm not sure you're going to be getting this like two first round picks like this King's Ransom deal will want. I'm not sure that exists, but you may have a better chance of getting something closer to that during the uh, the trade, the, the draft, especially with JT coming off a better season. I don't think JT's value has diminished from the trade deadline, but again, and I've maintained this all along. And I'm not sure you're getting what people want, like that, like mega deal. Yes. I hope they can get something along those lines, but it's going to be a first. It'll be a prospect. It'll be a, a player, and potentially another pick, like uh, you know, outside the first round. But this notion of getting, you know, a team's top prospect, you know, top ten pick, and all those sort of things, and even, and a good young player, may be asking, and may not be realistic. And it
1: comes down to what counts as a King's Ransom for you, right? Yes. Like, is a is a top 15 pick and a really good prospect and another piece a like King's Ransom? I mean, that's a pretty good package. I I would call that a haul for JT Miller. It's not, again, the kind of fantasy land ones that you're talking about, but it would still count as a really good package to me.
0: Yeah. Uh, Derek in the Ridge says the team won't get a haul for JT. They'll get a nice package of picks, prospects, and maybe a roster player. No team ever comes ahead when they trade a premier player. The only one that comes to mind uh, is the Duchesne trade, Derek in the Ridge. He's right. When you trade the best player, it seldom works out that, that you get better players back in return. It worked out for the Rangers and the Rick Nash trade and what mm-hmm. they've done, of course. That's been documented. It's worked out for um, uh, 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 the uh, the Ottawa Senators. Eric Carlson. Uh, er, er, no, sorry. Sorry. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche and sure. trading Duchesne. Sure. And then that yeah. initial deal worked out for them. But a lot of those deals don't. Your hope is... That you hit, you majorly hit on one of the pieces in that tree. That's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And the
1: other thing to keep in mind, right, is that it's also... It's not just the pieces you get back. Yes, you want to hit on them. You want to hit on all of the pieces you get back. It's also the opportunity that it opens up because you're clearing a bunch of cap space, right? You're clearing yeah. the five plus million next year and then potentially, you know, seven, eight, eight plus the years beyond that, that you have flexibility to do other things and improve your team in other ways.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, it's going to be really fascinating to see how things end up with J.T. Miller. But that's the latest on his situation and also what's going on with the coaching staff. And we appreciate all the text. We'll try to get some more of those as the show go- goes on. But let's take a quick look. At the betting lines uh, for the game in the series coming up tonight, and bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. And, you know, we, we talked a bit about the value um, that exists in betting on Tampa, especially when they were down in the series against the New York Rangers. Well, all of a sudden, heading into this game tonight, they are favored to win, even though they are on the road in New York. And that kind of just tells you about how things have changed so dramatically. Because right now, to bet on Tampa, 1.8 on the money line. The Rangers, 2.05.
1: Yeah. So there you go. As you said, the the temperature in this series has shifted dramatically. It's interesting to note as well that uh, both Filippito and Ryan Strom are going to be in tonight for the New York Rangers. But we'll see how effective, how much of a load they're able to handle.
0: Yeah. And as far as the series goes, the Rangers underdogs there, 2.4 to win the series and Tampa Bay 1.6 to win the series. So, Tampa in the driver's seat. Very we'll much see. the favorite, right? Yeah, now. we'll see if they come through. All right, coming up next, we have Scott Burnside from Daily Faceoff right here on Canuck Central. Welcome back to the show. Canuck Central, Satyar Shaw, Jamie Dodd. And as always, presented by your local Grip Auto and Tire location, friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at GripAuto.ca today. Scott Burnside, Daily Faceoff is coming up in a few minutes. We'll talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs. The conference final, Game 5, Tampa versus the Rangers is coming up. And we went over the odds of that game. And despite being on home ice... The Rangers are underdogs, mm-hmm. and as you mentioned, a lot of injuries as well. So we'll talk to Scott about that and also the latest around the league, um, especially daily daily faceoff teams. Always on top of things when it comes to trade rumors and what might be happening in, in, with open head coaching yep. vacancies and, and all those sort of things. So we'll delve into that with Scott Burnside. But on the game tonight, if I'm kind of hoping we see a Gracious Durkin game tonight and the Rangers win. Because I just think that storyline of a game seven versus if we yeah. get a game seven for Vasilevsky at Madison Square Garden versus Chusturkin that would be, be great cool. be great cinema.
1: I do just want to see. Look, I, I have no problem if we go seven games. I really want to see Tampa, Colorado. So yeah, I have you. no problem if we get straight to that either.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you, but I'd love to see a Game Seven between those two goalies, on Madison Square Garden. I don't I'd care bad. who wins. Not I just, bad. That's Not what bad. I love to see. All right, uh, let's welcome in Scott Burnside into the discussion. Daily Face Off. Uh, always a pleasure getting you on the show, Scott. But you know, we're we're just kind of talking about the series between Tampa and New York. And as much as the Rangers took control early, I mean, they're really up against it now. I mean. Is it premature, though, to say they're cooked, especially with the betting odds being against them so much when they half Shostakhin between the pipes?
2: Yeah, no, I, I mean, having watched the Rangers pretty closely uh, throughout this playoff year, uh, you know, they were cooked against the Penguins when they were down 3-1, yep. and they were cooked against Carolina when they were down (laughs) 2-0 and 3-2. And, um, you know, just as I think it was premature to, to, you know, to suggest that they had, you know, the series in the bag after dominating games one and two, you know, they outscored the Bullocks nine, four. So um, yeah, I think, I think it's just wise when you look at both Tampa and New York, given their respective histories this spring um, and beyond, of course, when it comes to Tampa, it's, you know, it's never uh, not to not to use the old cliche, but it, it's it, it truly um, it, it's going to have to play out. You cannot read from game to game or from forty eight hours to forty eight hours which direction these series are going to go. And I'm I, I mean I'm fascinated by what's going to happen tonight at MSG. Rangers have been so good at home, um, and they're a team that I I think they really I thought they were too young for this, and uh, you know that was a common uh, narrative, I think, um, but they are a team that seems to have learned and grown and matured almost from day to day throughout this playoff. So, you know, I, I don't think this is a team that's going to panic. I don't think it's a team that's ready to take a knee. You know, Tampa's going to have a lot to say about it, but uh, <clears throat> especially with um, I I wouldn't at all... Be surprised to see the Rangers come back and, and win Game Five tonight, and and who knows, as you were mentioning earlier, likewise wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, if we're having a conversation about what Game Seven might look like Saturday night.
1: Yeah, game Five is always so important. You know, we always use the word pivotal when it's two-two in Game Five, Scott. But. As you mentioned, you know, New York has been so good at Madison Square Garden uh, this postseason, and it just feels like if they're not able to get the win tonight, right, they're not able to defend their home ice, if they, as they've done so many times so far in the playoffs, that it's going to be really, really difficult for them to climb out of that hole uh, against, you know, the ultimate veteran team in Tampa Bay.
2: Yeah, no, and I think that's fair. And, you know, if we're, if we're getting the cooked um, meter out, I would say <laughs> that if the Rangers lose tonight, yes, you can put the cooked meter right in them and that will be, I, I, I totally understand that. Um, and, and, you know, listen, the, the, the thing about Tampa and we know that Braden points, you know, it's not going to be back. And um, so we understand that. We know that Philip and Ryan Strom will be back in for the Rangers tonight. That gives Gerard Galan a little bit more, um, certainly more options for him and they're going to need that depth scoring. That's been so important to this team throughout the playoffs. So, um, it, but it, Tampa, again, this idea that the Rangers may you know somehow let this series get away from them—I'm not sure that's mm. so much the truth as yeah. it is Tampa really saying, "Well, wait a minute, we're you know we're not done yet here." And you know, an early goal by uh, Pat Maroon—you get that fourth line going. I mean, Zach Bogosian—you know, incredible play to set up the first goal. No, uh, oh, this is those are the things that championship teams. That's what they do. That's what they, the kind of production they get. We've already seen that from Colorado. Um, And, and the Rangers are going to have to answer in kind if they are going to resume, uh, you know, control of this series and and continue to put pressure on Tampa, um, you know, which is something they they really haven't had all that much of, you know, this is the first time they've lost back-to-back playoff games, but since, being swept by Columbus, right? So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, tonight's going to be great theater, great drama. Well, and,
0: you know, the, the player that always seems to rise in these moments is Nikita Kucherov. I mean, the only two players that have outproduced him in the postseason is Leon Dreisidel and uh, Connor McDavid with the amount of points that they've put up and and some of the things that we've seen. But as far as what Nikita Kucherov does, I mean, this year he already has seven goals. We might see him, you know, crest 10 goals in the postseason. As far as all-time great playoff performers, I mean, where is Nikita Kucherov putting himself in that discussion?
2: Yeah, no, I, I, it's a great point, and and he and he's he's right up there, right? I mean, this is and, and you guys are are right. I understand the you know, the the allure of of, of seeing a Colorado Tampa final. I mean, what kind of fireworks and what kind of you know, sort of the the narrative of that kind of series with the the ABS trying to prove that they are you know that they're at the top of the mountain they're ready to take that mantle away from Tampa and Tampa looking to do something that hasn't been done since the Islanders um in in the number of decades in, in winning three straight Stanley Cups so and Kucherov is is critical to that and and you're right it's you know we talk about the ability of players of uh, players to elevate and the ability of players to deliver in in those critical moments you, know, you think about the game sevens we had in the first round. I think there were five. And you think about well, which, you know, who were the players? I mean, even though Kutrop wasn't the pivotal player in Game Seven against Toronto, it, just his presence in the lineup in these critical moments um, it, it is really important. And it's, I mean, God, ah, he's going to play for I don't know what another ten years or whatever he wants to play. He's already going to go to the Hall of Fame, as far as I'm concerned. His numbers are. Hall of Fame like his ability to produce at um, at the critical junctures of of these playoff runs um, is almost unparalleled, and the, you know he's get he's got a chance to go where very few players have gone in you know if they can get by their ranges and get back to a third straight Stanley Cup final.
1: And, and, you know, speaking of all-time performances, I'm just looking at the other side with Colorado obviously already punching their ticket to the Stanley Cup final. And, you know, Camel Carr hasn't done it in terms of career numbers like Nikita Kucherev has over multiple runs. But when you just look at what he's done in this Stanley Cup run for the Colorado Avalanche, you know, I'm not sure I can remember the last time a defenseman was this dominant and this influential at both ends of the ice for, for his team in the Stanley Cup playoffs
2: yeah i i mean i would go back to duncan Keith in in two thousand and fifteen probably and uh and if i'd i'd have to go back and having voted in the consmite that spring uh you know my memory's a little bit foggy but it was I, this there was not there wasn't the agonizing that often goes on at Consmite consmite voting time uh back in fifteen and duncan Keith... Uh, And to your point, not just the offensive numbers uh, as the Blackhawks won um, their third Stanley Cup in six years. It was it was so again, it was the both ends of it and his skating ability and controlling the play. And uh, I believe he scored the game winning goal in game six in Chicago. Um, But just just a, 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 a dynamic presence almost every night, you know, at that point, you know, Duncan Keith was, you know, really at the peak of his power sort of thing, completely different than Kale McCarr, who is still, he's still such a boy. Right. And, and what he's doing is, uh, it, it is incredible. And it, and I'm, you know, you think ahead to Khan Smythe, let's say we see a Kucherov, um, you know, McCarr battle uh, to me, those would probably be your number, um, your, your top, Um, guys heading into the Stanley Cup final in terms of uh, what does your, you know, what does your early conspite ballot look like? Uh, I don't think there's any question with all due respect to Nathan McKinnon and, you know, Kale McCarr is the guy, right? 22 points in 14 games. It's incredible. So um, it it is going to be fun to watch him as he he seems not to worry though, right about the stage. Like you sort of think, well, if he gets to a final you know would he would it change him would you know would he would he somehow respond to the pressure as you might expect a young player i i don't see that happening i i just i think he's immune to all that so yeah it would be a great um it would be great drama a little Kucherov, Kucherov-Makar um battle to to see who takes on the playoff mvp honors but uh, i think he could do a lot worse
0: Scott Burnside is our guest, daily face-off here on Canuck Central. And, you know, looking at some of the stuff that's happening off the ice around the National Hockey League, I know you've been covering a lot of the coaching stuff that's going on, especially in Boston. And it is really interesting when you look at the sheer volume of high quality, or at least how we would deem what we would deem on the, as media, as high-quality coaching candidates on the market. It, it really is a buyer's market if you are a team looking for a head coach. But I find it interesting that despite all that, there are still some new fresh faces that are getting some interviews. What do you make of the fact that despite all these high, you know, high-end coaches being available, some jobs seem to be focusing in on guys that
2: haven't been getting those opportunities in the past? Yeah, well, and I think it's healthy. And I think and maybe this is just a function of teams. Um, you know, you'd like to imagine the teams, uh, uh, you know, as we move forward and, and it, we're, you take the blinders off how you, traditionally do things. Listen, Vancouver is a terrific example of how they built their hockey ops department and the kinds of changes that they've made over the last year or so. I think those are are critically important. I think of uh, uh, Marie-Philippe Poulain being hired this week by the Montreal Canadiens in a developmental role. We, uh, our podcast the, that I do with Mike McKenna, we had Chris Weidman on and we were just talking about you know the what Poulain's presence will be like, and what what the players might learn from her. And you know, I we're not at a point yet, I don't think, where we're you know where we're going to see a woman head coach necessarily. But uh, I'm I, I won't be surprised if at some point, whether it's this coming season or the next year, we will see um, female member of uh, NHL coaching staffs on the bench, uh, not and you know in the in those sort of primary. Uh, assistant or associate coaching roles I I don't I think that time is coming it's inevitable Um, but to your point about maybe younger coaches uh, who who had a taste or um, you know are are looking for a second chance at it you know Jim Montgomery had some personal issues in Dallas um, but a highly highly regarded coach coming under the college ranks in Denver his name has continued to to pop up. And he did some really important work for Craig Berube and staff in St. Louis. Um, You know, David Quinn, I think there are a lot of people who feel that David Quinn didn't get a real shot in New York. And uh, you know, Gerard Gallant's done an amazing job, obviously um, finalist for coach of the year this season with the Rangers, but David Quinn's a good, smart, young coach, and he is going to get another NHL coaching chance. And it's a question of when and where I'm curious because a number of the teams that are looking for head coaches now, their teams are, are are in sort of that, that transitional phase. They're they're not at the right at the bottom, you know, where we've seen Buffalo and Ottawa and, and Montreal really for the last few years, but a team like Detroit or a team like, well, Philadelphia is probably close to the bottom given <laughs> the way the Flyers have played. But, you know, there are teams that now are looking for a coach. It's not necessarily a total rebuild, um, but a coach who could maybe grow up with a team and uh you know, I'm curious to see what Steve Iserman does, you know, with the Detroit Red Wings, Philadelphia. It's an interesting situation. I think Chicago, you know, what direction do the Blackhawks go in? I mean, Derek King could go back in. He was the interim coach and, but, and still in line for the coaching job there. But, you know, does a guy like David Quinn, is he appealing to, you know, in those kinds of marketplaces? Um, because he is a different coach than, say, Barry Trotz or Pete DeBoer or John Tortorella. Um, who, whose resume is is completely different in terms of the coaching world. So it, it is it's really an incredible landscape, and I think a lot of people believe. I have talked to some coaches who are sort of in that milieu, and the belief is that a, a lot of people are waiting on Barry Trotz because I, I and I think there's Barry Trotz, and, and then there is there is a gap between all the other coaches, um, regardless of their experience. There is a gap between Barry Trotz. And the rest of the coaches, and, and and where does Barry Trotz end up, and does that sort of free up a logjam, the the coaching logjam? Because we haven't seen these positions filled, and of course now there's a new one with, with Bruce Cassidy um, uh, being fired by the Boston Bruins. So it, it, it does make for some fascinating discussions, and 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 it's so important, right? You can't, man. You can make mistakes, uh, but they become quite apparent uh, quite early on if you don't have the right coach in the right spot.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you specifically about Bruce Cassidy, Scott, because, you know, as you said, Barry Trotz is at, at the top of the list right now. But I think a lot of people would probably have Bruce Cassidy kind of second on that available coach's list, despite some of the reporting we've heard out of Boston this week. It, it still just seems like based on his resume, I, I don't expect him to be unemployed for all that long if he doesn't want to be. And do you see a, a natural landing spot or two where you think Bruce Cassidy might make a lot of sense?
2: Yeah, and I, I agree with you and I think you know Bruce Cassidy goes to the playoffs six straight times. Again, I'm not sure what the Bruins are doing. And I think they're a team I I honestly I think there's a lot of introspection within that organization about what what is their future. There's so many injury issues and what's gonna happen with Patrice Bergeron moving forward, all those kinds of things. Um but you've you've just fired one of the most successful coaches certainly in your franchise history, even though he didn't win a cup, he did go to game seven of the cup final in 19, Went um, to the playoffs every year. He lost in game seven in a very close series against Carolina. So geez, I'm not sure what else he could, could have done, but um, I, 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 I like, you know, to me, is he a guy that fits in Chicago again there? I don't know what that team, you know, what are you doing there? Uh, Kyle Davidson with the you know, sort of the new mandate as GM, what's, what is the Blackhawks plan moving mm-hmm. forward? Still got some of those holdovers, of course. Patrick Kane still at a, playing at a high level, but what's the plan there? Philadelphia is desperate for someone who can help them, but man, there's so much work to to be done there. I think Bruce Cassidy is a nice fit in Philadelphia if that's the way it goes. Although John Tortorella, uh, likewise, I think is, is a guy who can come in and 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 get that team back on track in, in fairly short order. Um, you know, you hear Pete DeBoer's name linked uh, closely with. With Dallas, uh, my sen, you know Rick Tockett's name is is also going to be out there with a lot of these openings. Uh, you know, specifically, I think it fit for for Dallas as well. But I, I think Bruce Cassidy has to give a lot of teams pause. Again, you know, Vegas is a team that I think is probably you know if you, of all the openings. Where do you you know where do you get right back into the playoffs? It, it, you know, maybe uh, certainly as soon as next year. I think Vegas is probably at or very close to the top of that list in terms of the opening is in maybe Bruce Cassidy who has playoff experience and playoff success. Maybe he's a guy who fits into a Vegas situation where there's been a lot of dysfunction and he's a guy who can sort of help things coalesce there very quickly. So I, I, I don't imagine Bruce will be uh, out of work too long uh, if, if he, uh, you know, and it sounds like he'd like to get right back into it. So I expect there will be a fit and I, I, I will be surprised if he's not coaching somewhere um, next
0: fall, Scott Burnside, Daily Faceoff, is our guest, and one of the favorite my, my, one of my favorite things to check out on Daily Faceoff. And you know, we all love trade rumors and watching the trade list. And JT Miller here in Vancouver ranks number four on the trade list. And you know, as you can imagine, in a Canadian market, despite him having another year on his contract, the discussion all off season already has kind of been around what's going to happen with JT Miller, which teams are going to line up to try to get him after a 99 point season and we're always trying to gauge the trade market. How robust do you believe the trade market will be for J.T. Miller if the Canucks cannot sign him?
2: Yeah, I I mean, I think it's going to be, it will will be very high. Um, The interesting part is that with the free agent market, uh, there are a lot of high-end players, um, high-end forwards available on the free agent market. So uh, to me, that clouds the situation um, a a little bit, uh, even though that, you know, JT Miller has another year left at five point two five million, so that you know gives you cost certainty at least for one year. Uh, you know, the the issue with a guy like JT Miller at twenty nine years of age, uh, you you acquire a player like that um, with the idea of extending him. <clears throat> so that's a question of can it's not just what kind of assets uh, does JT Miller command, and they should be the high end assets, right? First round pick, top prospect. Uh, you know, it's got to be it's got to be the full package. Um, you know, not as great as uh, if there had been a trade at the trade deadline um, just passed, because you would have had the extra playoff year, of course. But he's still going to command top dollar. I guess my question is, when there are high-end skilled players who are on the the uh, free agent market, you know, guys like Johnny Gaudreau, and who knows what happens with Genie, Evgeny Malkin, and, and you know, there's there are some skilled players. There aren't a lot of defensemen on that UFA market,
0: mm-hmm. but there are
2: some skilled forwards. Um, available Nazim Kadri, of course, the center, uh, it, you know, commands a different kind of respect given the position that he plays. Um, does that deter the ability to move J.T. Miller? Uh, because you, you know, if you all you need to do is have enough money in terms of to, to, to land a free agent, you don't have to give up that asset package. Um, so I think that may be an inhibiting factor, maybe a tiny bit, uh, but there's no question that teams will line up to get J.T. Miller in there. Uh, in their lineup, it, to me, it's a question of it, it can't just be about this year. Um, I mean, you know, unless you're a team that is truly just looking at, you know, the very short term. I, to me, that no team is going to give up the kinds of assets that would be required to get J.T. Miller unless you really are looking at extending him long term, uh, and that's a complex thing. Mm-hmm. So, I, uh, you know, it, it, do, would people want him? Of course. It, are there a lot of factors that go into it? Um, Yeah. And uh, and maybe maybe it's the kind of thing that takes later uh, sort of beyond the first days of free agency where teams may strike out on a guy like a and then have to circle back and come to a plan B with trying to bump up their offense and bring in leadership into their room. And JT Miller certainly covers those bases.
0: Well, it certainly sets up for a really, really fun off-season on the trade market, free agency, and the draft. And we're we're just about a month away from all that, so we look forward to seeing what happens. Scott, it's always a pleasure getting you on the show. Great work as always, and we look forward to catching up again soon. Yeah, call anytime, guys. You got it. Uh, That's Scott Burnside, Daily Faceoff. Always great catching up with him. Uh, The great NHL reporter's been around for a long time, doing great work, and uh, seeing you on Daily Faceoff's been a lot of fun. And, you know, it ultimately comes down to that, too, and... As far as how many teams this offseason have, number one, the cap space, number two, the desire to eat up that cap space. Yeah. And have the motivation to be good right away, to go out and make those deals. And that's where it does get interesting that, if, for instance, Johnny Goudreau, let's say that he stays in Calgary but Forsberg goes somewhere else. I mean, how many teams are willing to spend? And when those guys get gobbled up. Yeah. Who's left over and who's willing at that point? I think the positive with JT, though, is... That even if you sign him to an extension, you don't have to worry about figuring out that money until the year afterwards. Right, you have a little bit of time to yeah. work it out because his next year
1: salary is super reasonable five point two five. That's a bargain for what he's going to bring and the production he has. So
0: you have a little time to get all your ducks in a row, even if you do give him that big ex- extension. Well, and because JT's salary is, is such a team friendly number at five point two five, even for Vancouver, in the right deal for the right team, could you see Vancouver even retaining a bit a bit of it? Oh, I think so, for sure. I mean, just a minor bit. I'm talking about a million or so, whatever it is. But if all of a sudden a contender that's capped out but has space coming up in a year's time or something, they're like, hey, we'll give you the assets, but we need you to take some money because we can't fit him in. And all of a sudden, JTF $4 maybe that helps you get something extra back in return for that. I think all of that has to be on the table, right? If it helps juice the assets that you're getting back a little bit, yeah, you have to consider it. It all comes down to that, right? And, And... Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with JT Miller and, of course, heading into free agency and the NHL draft. And as far as the NHL draft is concerned, Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News is going to join us coming up next. We'll delve into the 2022 NHL entry draft and what may work for your Vancouver Canucks. That's coming up right here on Canucks Central.